that it's lit for all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with the Managing Editor of the Glow Up, Maisha Kai. Hello. Maisha, today we have two incredible guests on the show, Tarana Burke and Tanya Fields. Tarana is the founder of the Me Too movement in 2017. She, along with other silence breakers, was named Person of the Year by Time Magazine. Tanya is a prominent activist as well, having founded the Black Feminist Project in 2009, which is a response to sexist institutional policies and structurally reinforced cycles of poverty. Both of these incredible women joined us recently to talk about their upcoming book, You Are Your Best Thing, which is a collection of essays exploring the topics of shame and resilience, which Tarana edited and Tanya contributed to. Yeah, and you know, we have to also say that Toronto co-edited this with the famed expert on shame, Brene Brown, uh, who, you know, all of her work about shame, about vulnerability, has made her so in demand as a speaker, as a scholar. Of course, you know, this being a book really tailored for Black people <laughs> and all Black writers, I don't know that many people would be expecting Brene Brown to be a co-editor of this book, but it does work and it is beautiful and it is so... um I think so what we need right now after this year of trauma, you know, I think that we don't necessarily think about the ways in which shame and vulnerability accompany trauma. And I know for me, this book felt very much right on time and um, really got to the heart of a lot of things. And the two of them, I mean, Tarana's a long time friend of the root and the two of them together, Tarana and Tanya, I, I just think what a warm homegirl chat that just yes. really like fed me like gumbo <laughs> you know? it was tea and tea and they were dynamite yes, they really yes, were things it was firecrackers there was explosions absolutely it was it was it was just everything was on fire the whole conversation was fire yes and so i can't wait to share this conversation with our listeners so let's get to it let's do it Tanya, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you. Hi. It's lit. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's so awesome to have you both here with us today. Especially Tarana, who's a great friend of The Root, a past number one Root 100 honoree. That's right. <laughs> you know, I remember that day, the day that that list came out. I was in some, like, Missouri, Minnesota, some place random out in the Midwest. And I was backstage and Yaba, Dr. Mm-hmm. Yaba Blade, texted me. And she was like, number one? Really? Number one? <laughs> and I was like, I, number one what? <laughs> I'm, I'm like reading my bullet points, about, literally about to go on stage. So she sent the screenshot. <laughs> this is terrible. I shouldn't even. She sent the screenshot. And I was like, get the fuck <laughs> 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 was number one the year before. I was like, I don't know, Michelle Obama. <laughs> You know, somebody that I was like, and then I had to go on stage. So I went on stage and I was speaking in a church. Like it was the the, the, the school's, you know, church, whatever. And I was like, I'm sorry, y'all. I just got voted number one on the Route 100 list. So we're going to have to talk about that for the first Ooh. five minutes. <laughs> so 
sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, I do. I do love. The I got group. to introduce oh, you that year, you. and I was, it was still a highlight of my career at the Roots. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was amazing. It was amazing. But we're so happy to have you both with us today to talk about this incredible anthology. But first, since it's lit is a podcast about black books, black writers, black thought leaders, we like to start each episode by asking our guests to name at least one book. That has been life-changing, life-altering. It blew your mind. <laughs> it like revolutionized like what you thought a book could be. What was that mm-hmm. book or books for each of you? Well, mine is right there behind Maisha. <laughs> like every everybody that knows me either identify. I mean, I'm 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 all about Antizaki Shange, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker. Those are my absolutely patron saints. Absolutely, but. Certainly for colored girls. And I, I I grew up actually before I read the book listening to the Broadway play. So I, I like know that. <laughs> I know I read it in that intonation. I read it how it is in yeah. the play, not even the PBS special, mm-hmm. but and I actually listened to it the other day. I listen to it all the time, but I listened to it the other day just because when I'm writing, sometimes it helps me. And I I'm still all of these years later, still catch things, mm. catch little some things. It was something in graduation night that I that I hadn't heard before. And I was like, oh, or maybe I think I understood for the first time. It's just incredible that such a, a an extraordinary piece of literature can dig into what it is to be a black yes. woman in so many ways, right? Not not just the, you know, one type of black woman. She's so able to capture and not even type, but just the the various emotions and experiences of us. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I know why the cage bird sings. And also I should just mention this. People should read other books by Antizaki. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sassafras, Cypress, and Indigo. Yes. Sassafras, <laughs> exactly. I would go yes. there next. Please read that next, right? Like I, I, some sing, some cry. Like there are, she's an amazing writer. People should read other things besides for colored girls. Um, I know why the cage bird sings is the book that changed my life from 12 years old. And, you know, it's just, I'm writing about that now in my memoirs. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna let Tanya go because I could talk about books. I'm I'm standing here staring at my bookshelf. Mm. My my partner is really like I'm just trying to understand is your life more than clothes, books, and shoes? <laughs> like, really, what is this? That's it. <laughs> um, so I definitely am going to piggyback on what Tarana said. I remember I went to a mostly white school in an all white neighborhood. And I used to stay in the library a lot because it was really hard for a little dark-skinned Black girl who looked like me to be in those kinds of spaces. So at lunchtime, I would always go to the library. It'd be just me and the little white librarian. And I would go through all of these books. And I remember the book for color girls with the same exact cover was there. Nobody had checked it out. I was the first one to check it out. And I was like wow. 10. I was in the fifth grade. I had no idea what I was reading. I just knew that the way that the words were in the book as a core poem spoke to me. I knew that when I read that line and she loved herself fiercely as a little African featured, dark skinned, fat black girl with natural hair in this all white school. I was like, wait, somebody is writing something for me. This was for me. Somebody had wrote something mm-hmm. specifically for me. So that spoke a lot to me. Another one of the books that I checked out there, because I, I don't know, I was the, I was the strange little 10-year-old. I didn't want to do any of the things <laughs> the 10-year-olds did. I just wanted to sit with the little white librarian at lunchtime and read books and eat. I read mm-hmm. um, The Blue Side by Toni Morrison. It was another one. Yeah. I wasn't mm-hmm. entirely sure what was going on in the book, but I knew that it was powerful. <laughs> 
And I read that book probably four or five times over my life. So I read it when I was like in the fifth grade and didn't really know. Then I read it mm-hmm. again in the eighth grade. And I kind of was like, wait a second. And then I read it in high school and I was like, okay, wait a second. And then I read it in college. And I was like, yeah. Then I'm throwing stuff. Yeah. I'm talking to people about it. I'm dog earing things. I'm writing notes. Um, and that's when yeah. I, you know, probably by the time I was in eighth grade, I had truly, truly fell in love with Mother Morrison. And when she died, I mm. felt a deep sense of sadness like everybody else, but also yeah. this sense of sadness like I never got to sit at her feet. I never got to touch the hem of her garment. Because mm. I knew I was going to do that, especially when I started becoming more visible. You know how people be like, they sit, they they look at their success by like how much money they make or whatever. I'm like, okay, have I met Angela Davis? Okay. Um, <laughs> am I going to get to Cuba and find out where Asada is? Okay. Am I going right. to be able to yeah, touch right. the hem of the garment of Toni Morrison? If I can do those things, I have achieved success. That's how I felt about um, Intazaki. Same. No, I felt Me that too. way too. And the yeah. fact that I got to meet her at a, she, she was really sick at this point though. And she at the, mm. at um, Long Island University, the Brooklyn campus, she mm. did a testing of one of her latest plays. And then they wheeled Mm. her out on stage and she still had some of her faculties about her. And I remember standing up and I said, I know y'all said to ask questions, but I'm going to be the the annoying person who (laughs) gives the comment. I had brought my daughter with me and she kept falling asleep during it. And I'm like, wake up like, girl, do you know this history? What's wrong with you? You were supposed to be interested in this at 12 years old. And, um, I got to tell her how much it meant that I got to bring my daughter to see her and and seeing her in that moment, I knew she didn't have a lot more time. And so I was so glad because that night Mm -hmm. I had vacillated between, Oh, I'll go. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go home. I'm tired. I don't know. My Ori spirit said, girl, take yourself over here to Long Island university and sit at mother Shange's feet. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. We're going to have 10 minutes to talk about the book that we wrote. (laughs) (laughs) My dad, sorry. I don't know why you got it's all good. It's all good. Up here. We'll talk for hours about books. (laughs) (laughs) So Tarana. Yes. (laughs) Your book, You're the Best Thing, Vulnerability, Shame, Resilience, and the Black Experience is groundbreaking. And that is unlike anything we've read before. And I think it holds a lot of potential for us moving forward. You partnered with acclaimed author, educator, and researcher Brene Brown for this book, whose work in shame and vulnerability is masterful and profound. But let's first address the elephant in the room, inviting (laughs) her, a white woman, to co-edit a book on how that intersects with and manifests for Black people. Do you have any concerns that some folks won't trust her presence enough even to get past the cover? Yeah, of course. That was her, that was her concern, right? When I, when this first came up, she was like, you know, I don't have to do this with you. I will support it. I will promote it. I'll write the forward for it, but I don't have to put my name on it. And the the fact of the matter is I came to her with the idea. Well, I didn't actually come to her. I came to her talking about what I was feeling about last summer and about white people being centered in the conversations following the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and being centered in the sense that we are talking about Black people being murdered with impunity. And the response to that is teach white people to be better. Mm. And the people who we want to do that are Black people. <laughs> and I was like, something has to shift here, mm-hmm. right? Um, she's in the book. She's she's co-editing the book as an expert, right? She is an expert in this field. And Black people read Brene Brown. We do. Right? We, we do. all, like, we all... Right? We we read her, uh, and then part of the 
part of the reason why we were talking as like, I haven't had a lot of white friends in my white women who I can say, this is my friend. I don't use that term easily. Right. And so we, we had to go through the fire a little bit in order for me to get to that place. Because if you want to be my friend, you're going to have to be like all the rest of my friends. If I got something to say, I got something to say. Right. And what I had to say was your work is amazing. And has, it has changed my life in so many ways, but as a black woman, I'm bringing my whole self to the book, but I'm not getting, I'm not finding myself when I get there. And so part of the reason why she's, you know, editing is that she's also learning at the same time, right? She's there to, to, to see how her work impacts us, but also there as the expert. So, I mean, I know some people would be like, well, what? It's like, you know, <laughs> when you haven't seen your cousin in a long time, they show up at the cookout. <laughs> and you're like, who did <laughs> Did y'all know she was bringing her? I get it, but I, but I, I know that black people trust me. Yeah, I hope they do at least, and know that I'm not trying to do anything not black, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not trying to do anything that would harm us in any way, or water it down, or, or anything at all. And so I, you know, if you trust me and know that I've been consistently, you know, centering us in our needs, then I trust her. Fair. Very fair. Very fair. So let's also talk about how you assembled this group of writers, because this is, you know, a pretty incredible and esteemed group of thinkers. How did you pitch this project to your participants, especially when asking them to really delve into some of their most painful and, you know, shameful moments? Yeah, that was, that was, that was, (laughs) well, some people, right. It's so interesting. I, we, we split the list, Brene and I, it's not quite split in half, but I came with a set of names and she came with a set of names. And I was very clear. We both were, I guess, very clear about, I knew what I wanted people to talk about. So that's how I went about it, right? When I thought about Tanya, I was like, the thing is people want to talk about, you know, we talk about Black women There's a and, and, and talking about being a Black woman. There's a particular way that we go about picking who that is and how that person shows up in the world. And Tanya shows up in the world as Tanya every day of the week. Tanya's also working class and talks about being working class in the way that I know working class to be, right? It's what my life looked like. And I wanted a discussion in the book about the way we shame the world tries to shame people who show up in the world like Tanya so I thought about the experiences right that that I've had or that I know that black people have um picking the men's what was a little difficult I think the women kind of came really quickly and then I was like okay we need you know because I wanted the men like for instance Mark Lamont Hill he's my friend so I know his life in in a particular way and I was like Hey, I want you to, I'd love for you to be a part of this book. He was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I want you to talk about da-da-da-da-da. And he was like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when we first chatted about it, he went in one direction. I was like, no, I need you to go a little bit further to the left. (laughs) He's like, okay. So it was, it was, it was, um, it was interesting, but everybody was willing. So, Tanya, I'm going to piggyback off of that answer because, like, real talk, I cried <laughs> a lot while reading your essay, Dirty Business, The Messy Affair of Rejecting Shame. And I have a feeling you would probably describe it as being, quote, unquote, cracked wide the fuck open <laughs> and broken into a million pieces by shame. Right. Yes. <laughs> but yes. 
But this essay, this essay in particular was one of the most intimate and I think in many ways for me at least triggering mm-hmm. <laughs> to read. Even though our life experiences, like our specific experiences are very different. Um, and I think that's like what we as, you know, black people and black women are afraid of, right? Like being cracked open mm-hmm. in that way, like being so broken that we can't put ourselves together. Um, you are also the founder of the Black Feminist Project, which as you describe, you know, this experience really led you to. What do you feel is the power in kind of naming and even in some respects claiming shame mm-hmm. as I guess as maybe an empowerment or a freedom project? And how do you incorporate that work of vulnerability into your narrative, your specific narrative of feminism? Yeah, you know, Maisha, that's such a good question. And it's so layered and I want to be concise because yeah, we only is. got a certain <laughs> amount of time for this podcast, right? You know, um, I think for me, I spent a lot of time online um, people trying to shame me. And in some ways they were shaming me. And it felt very much like damned if I do, damned if I don't, right? Like people were shaming me for making the wrong decisions, quote unquote, right? And having a bunch of kids, no husband, multiple baby daddies. And I gave it a lot of power. And then one day somebody Mm. said it and I was like, okay, bitch, yes, I have a lot of kids. And, And in that moment, it was like at the end of the end, almost like, if, you know, online, if there was an equivalent of, like, the room falling silent, like, once you say, okay, and what? There really isn't anything anybody else can say to you, right? So once you say, I'm not ashamed of something that happened, right? I'm not ashamed of something that I've done, right? Shame is, shame is also, like, I found that shame is use, is, is useless, right? We can feel remorse for things if we've done something wrong. And I'm not saying, I don't want for us to confuse the two, right? A lot of times people are like, you should be ashamed of yourself. If you've made a decision that maybe hurt someone or you've harmed yourself or you harmed someone else. And I don't see any usefulness in shame because shame stifles you. And so I spent a lot of time being stifled by shame. And once I had that moment where I was like, okay, and this is where I am. These are the decisions that I've made. And I get the ability, I have the ability to make certain, to make different decisions. And so that's what I'm doing. And you don't get to use shame as a way to keep me in some particular station in life you think that I deserve. It opened up all of these possibilities to me. And so being a woman who has identified as a marginalized Black woman, a marginalized femme, lives in one of the poorest congressional districts in the country, right? And I hate that we're still saying that 40, 50 years later, but that's that's the reality of it. I thought about how free all of the other Tanyas in my neighborhood would get once they stopped feeling ashamed of stuff that happened to them, stuff that a lot of times they had no control over, stuff that really was a reflection of whatever particular circumstances were available to them at that moment. I remember telling a white colleague one time, you didn't make good decisions, right? You didn't make good choices. You had good choices, So inversely, when you're thinking about people who live in one of the poorest congressional districts who have had to navigate and survive uh, systemic oppression and misogynoir, what choices do they have to make? And then how do like how do we then turn around and try to shame people for doing the very best that they could, given those very limited choices?
Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, <laughs> I think you, you hit on so much there. And you know, I, the opening line of that essay as well really struck me so deeply. I don't know a time I haven't felt guilty or ashamed. It actually reminded me of a conversation I had with Danielle once. I don't even know how we got into this conversation, but we had this conversation where I basically talked about this idea of living with shame every day. And and no pun intended, her response was me too. (laughs) And it gave me a new perspective on her humanity, like beyond just being my boss, like, you know, and, and I know that this book is for everyone, but I think for Black women in particular, you know, Obviously, we're often pitted against each other. I think we're also each other's strongest support systems. Mm-hmm. But what potential do each of you see here for cultivating that kind of empathy and recognition of each other's humanity? Like, I, I had that moment reading this book, and I assume that that's a lot of what your intent is here. That's that's exactly what the intent is. And I, I mean, I said jokingly, it's not for everyone, but mm-hmm. the, the first the first audience for this book is us, right? I believe that because some of these things are universal, it will resonate with everybody, with so many people. And I think that's great. But the the impetus was watching, and I, I don't know if I said this before, but the impetus was watching people, Black people across the internet and my family, my friends, watching us suffering, watching us in this really painful moment again, another mm-hmm. incredibly painful moment with this collective mourning that we were having. And in the same moment, being asked to sort of pivot and talk about what we need to do to help white people be better, mm-hmm. right? What do we need to do? And then having white people say, oh my God, you all are so amazing. Can you help me be anti-racist? No, no, <laughs> no, maybe. I don't know, but leave me alone. Like I need to, I need to have space. I wanted to, what I wanted to happen with this book is exactly what you're saying. We need space to explore our own humanity. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I said this in the conversation in the beginning, in the introduction with Brene. There's all this conversation about anti-racism and very little conversation about black humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you can honestly do anti-racist work, engage in anti-racist work if you are not engaging with Black humanity. You know, if not, Mm -hmm. it's just an exercise for you. It's an exercise in vanity to check it off your list and say, well, I did that. It's just like, you know, all the white women who wanted to be intersectional, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a checklist. And so I just don't believe you, Mm -hmm. you know, queen of anti-racism. 
if you mm-hmm. can't hear Tanya's story, if you can't hold space for my story, if you, you know, so that's that. But I'm also tired of talking about what white people want and need. I'm also t- tired of looking at my life and our lives through their gaze. I actually don't care. I learned a lot about us in this book. Mm-hmm. We need to learn more about each other. We need to explore our own humanity. We need space to see each other, to embrace each other, to know each other. I don't know what it is to be a, a Black disabled woman in America. I don't know what it is to be a Black queer person. I don't know. I don't know those experiences. A Black man, I don't know those experiences and deal and the shame that they carry. There are some things that are universal. Mm-hmm. And, and some of our Black experiences, some things that I saw and I was like, wow, I guess we all do go through that, those things. And there were others that were like, oh, I didn't know. So I think we need this for each other. We need space to see our own humanity. And I think that's what's brilliant about it, Tarana, right? Like you touch on something so true there, right? And it gets back to that idea of shame making you stuck. You get so stuck in that narrative that you are ashamed of. It does not give you the ability to see anything else outside of that. It limits your worldview, right? And we see this all the time. We see this play out when we are, because I'm very much like Toronto. We've had these conversations personally. I don't care Mm -hmm. what white folks are doing. Everything that I talk about is unapologetically through a Black lens, right? So intracommunally, we see this play out where we cannot Fine. Even with those shared experiences, we will still be at odds with one another because we're so stuck in this narrative that's so my that's so like mired in this idea of shame or or, or respectability, which is the flip side of shame, right? Um, this performance of respectability that we can't hold space for anybody else. And it robs you of your ability to be empathetic. It robs you of your ability to find common understanding. And it, all it does mm-hmm. is just widen that chasm that is between us. But it, it's imaginary. It's imaginary. And when you release shame, you get all of those gifts. You get a gift when you let it go. And so when Tarana, because she really did, she was, she was pushing me, right? If that chapter is good, I, I own that. I wrote it. <laughs> but it was with a lot of, I remember calling Toronto one night in like in tears. Like I cannot do this. And even just replaying it in my head, I get a little bit choked up, right? Because I was so stuck in what everybody was going to think when I talked so unapologetically about what it meant to have all these babies and to be the, the survivor of domestic violence while also performing a certain level of respectability myself. And Tarana was like, mm. you got to go through it to get through it. You're overthinking it. Just write it down. Mm-hmm. Let us worry about everything else. Word count, whether the grammar's mm-hmm. correct, all of that <laughs> other kind of stuff. You, get it right, out but you got to let it go, Tanya. And yeah. I remember I took two days to write that chapter with like nobody else around me, just got a hotel room, just wrote it. And I went between... Moments of like elation where I turned the music all the way up and I danced and I laughed and I was crying while I was laughing and I was dancing. And then there were times where I literally had to push the computer back from me because I was crying into the keyboard and I was like, I cannot afford water damage in this laptop right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you you know what else? The other the other piece and and that was I. Tanya had that experience. She's not the only one, right? Other people have, I had, my experience was, you know, along the same lines as well. And other people have talked about that. My daughter wrote 
an essay for this that was so hard for me to read. Mm. <laughs> I had to, I had to actually, because normally I'm the editor of anything they they produce, right? They they're writing something for themselves or for school. I I read it over, and I remember the first draft. I got to the first paragraph of the first draft, and I was like, okay, we're gonna call your auntie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna turn this over and let them because I because there was like profanity in it and it was this mm-hmm. other and I was like okay so let mommy let mommy because remo- I want you to be free mm-hmm. <laughs> to be expressive and I want you to have the same experience everybody else is because I didn't invite them Brene actually did oh wow <laughs> I did oh wow Brene was like what about your daughter and I was like okay okay you know and then and then you know obviously I thought it was a great idea but. The other parts of this, too, for us is recognizing that shame is also a tool of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So there's there's this internalized shame that we have. But some of that is to what to the point that Tanya was making is put upon us. And I think shame is put upon people generally. But there is, you know, this is one of the things I would talk to Brene about. Some of the examples she uses in her book about there's like, you know, this. I think it's her. It's herself. She's, she's talking about shopping in the in the mall or something yeah, yeah. like that with her daughter, and I, I forget the incident. But I was just like, her daughter starts dancing, right? Like, yes. is it her daughter starts dancing? Yes, yes. And I'm like, you don't understand what that looks like for a black woman <laughs> in the same situation. Right. That can literally get like it's, that can result in violence. Right. I'm like, that is my, it's not just shame, like, oh, I'm embarrassed because my kid is really Mm -hmm. giddy. It's, this can attract a particular kind of attention Mm -hmm. that could lead to, I have to think 10 steps ahead Mm -hmm. of wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And you may get that intellectually, but I have that ingrained in my body, right? Like the way I respond to that. And so even I've written about like, shame as a tool of parenting and and Mm -hmm. having to really fight against that, using that. Because I think we talk about like, you know, the way adults in our lives, our generation and younger adults in our lives, shame Black girls around being fast and around being, you know, putting the onus on us. But also it's the only tool they feel like they have, right? Mm -hmm. I need to keep you safe. So the best and quickest thing I can do is to make you feel, to, to use this shame so that you feel bad enough to protect yourself. It's a terrible tool. It's a terrible logic, but it makes sense if you think about the tools that they feel like they have at hand. And it's just, it's a, it's just a complicated thing to unpack. And I'm hoping that people, when they read these various stories, see the, the intricate ways that tool as a shame of white supremacy and tool has, has seeped into our, culture and our being and how we operate and it's it's another type of undoing that's not that has that has nothing to do with the way other people interact with shame mm. so wow <laughs> like so many thoughts come to mind i mean when i think of how much how much shame just warped so many women's lives has warped my life yep mine and, too and like same. What a <laughs> profound and necessary book this is. So it's like, you know, given that Toronto, that uh, Me Too has become this global movement in the past several years with you in the forefront, uh, this was maybe not the first book that folks were expecting from you, you know? 
<laughs> in fact, you know, you just debuted the stunning cover of Unbound, My Story of Liberation and the Birth of the Me Too Movement, which comes out in September. Yo, yeah. shout out to Bisa Butler. We got to shout the out to Bisa Butler yes. cover because, woo, good God. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Thank you. So I don't know what I'm saying. Thank you. She like I did the work. I'm like, Thank you. you know, but but you were you were the muse and the subject. So the whole thing collab. I think my 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 response on social media was like on in all caps. Like, is this a convergence of Toronto Burke and Visa Butler on my time? What is happening right now? I, I can't wait to tell us. Visa saved me, boy. Um, she, no, she, the word you know, is talk about black women. But go ahead. I'm no, sorry. It's okay. She's yeah. amazing. Okay. She's amazing. You know, yeah. It's an amazing cover. You know, which is the book is coming out in September. And so, you know, once again, you know, we're talking about surviving sexual violence, you know, as part of the conversation that you're having here. But it is also part of a much bigger and broader conversation, being that this project has come together during a year when the movement to protect Black lives is at the center of our national discourse. So mm-hmm. you guys have dropped so many gems already. I guess yeah. what I'm wondering <laughs> is what's next here? You know, what's What's the next move? What what more is what more can we expect? Well, I, let me say this. I know this book is not what people expected. Um, but but part of the thing that happened when we had the uprisings last year was that there were people who were saying to me that alluding that I didn't have a right to talk about what was happening in the moment. Like my box is sexual violence, my box is me too, and that's the only box you can stay in when I've spent 30 years of my life working for and in service of Black people. And even in my work around sexual violence is in service of Black folks. It's not to the exclusion of anybody else, but that's just, you know, that's just always been what it is. So I felt like, like I explained before, I felt like it was a perfect moment to to have an offering for Black people. I also think that the work of talking about and dismantling and examining shame is directly connected to to the work around sexual violence, right? But it's also the flip side too. It's not just sexual violence. It's so many other things that affect our lives that that shame and shame resilience. Because the other part to this book is the shame resilience part, right? Mm -hmm. We are talking about shame and how it affects um, Black people in the Black community, but we're also looking at shame resilience despite the amount of shame that we are mired in, despite the way that shame is used as a tool of white supremacy, Black people still prevail. Black people still have incredible lives, do incredible things. We still have joy. We still create. We still entertain. You know, we still do all of these things in spite of. So it is also an examination of what shame resilience looks like in our community. And I think it was a perfect time for that to be an offering to our folks, you know, and, and, and another way to look at, I didn't want a book that was like, let me teach white people something. I wanted a book that was, let's talk about what blackness. And again, I think that it is obviously open for everybody. And I think everybody can learn from it, but, and I'm not knocking the people who've written those books by any, by any stretch, but it's, there's a, there's a lot of them. Right. And I mean, how many different ways can you say be a good fucking human being? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's know, where I am with that it. part. <laughs> that part. I, really, it really is. We are down to just, could you just like don't be, be decent? a monster? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know how many different mm-hmm. ways to put that. So that's mm-hmm. not my lane. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think, I think what's next is that we, 
we see where this takes us. I think that I hope that people see this as an offering. I hope that our folks see themselves in it. You know, part of it is about us feeling seen. There's our stories being seen and elevated. I hope Black people see, have the space that we're trying to create for their humanity to be celebrated, to be elevated. And I hope other people are able to engage with our humanity in a way that lets them, uh, like, this is what, this is like the embodiment mm -hmm. of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> if you believe yeah. Black Lives yeah. Matter, then you have to understand that we, yes. what life is for us. This is our full, our, us and our fullness. This is what our humanity is. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm hoping, you know. My essay was about health. I'm hoping that we it can spark some conversations around Black women and health. I and mean, I'm 47, and I've had more health issues in the last two years than I've had in my whole life. Same, and, right? <laughs> yeah. We're not. We're not. We're just not having. We're having these conversations in group chats and on, you know, Facetime with our girlfriends, but we are not having them publicly. We're not having them in the open. And I and I that was a very scary thing for me to. <laughs> to put out into the public, but I think it's necessary, right? To to broach those topics. So I'm just hoping we have more of these conversations about disability, about transphobia, about all the various topics that come up, you know? Absolutely. Tanya, what's next for you? I'm trying to be like the Oprah and Rachel Ray for Hood Black. That's, all right. that's, that's what I'm on. <laughs> yes. um, and I, I mean that, like, you know, Toronto alluded to what our lane is and, and I, you know, I hear what she's saying, but also, too, I'm like, I find there's a beauty in, like, knowing your lane, right? So, for me, mm -hmm. I got friends. I feel like I'm very privileged to be in a place where I can exist in a room full of folks who are academics and hold my own. I can exist in a room full of activists and, and know all the rhetoric and all the social justice vernacular. And then I can go back to my hood, right? And I talk with the hood girls about stop fucking with these corner boys and what it means mm -hmm. to like embrace like holistic health and no that's not just for crunchy white people or bougie black mm -hmm. women to talk about <laughs> what it means for me to have breastfed six kids to go into the welfare office and turn up because they told me that i had to breastfeed my baby covered and i was like actually i don't and give a whole sermon in the welfare office about how y'all will not hold me down <laughs> and keep me covered up breastfeeding my baby. And knowing that this is a language a lot of times that girls in our community don't have. And they don't mm. necessarily always know how to navigate certain spaces because violence is inflicted upon us so easily. And so for me, I kind of want to be and I already am in a lot of ways at the risk of sounding arrogant. I think one of the things about me that resonates with a lot of folks is that I've gotten very good at being able to translate, to read the Combahee Collective, and then go back to my community and talk about all of the stuff that I read. And so for me, I want to be able to exist in these spaces, not have to code switch, not have to use academic language, and speak to the girls and, and, the, and the women and the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunties in my community that even we as the Black community punch down on. And so this book has given me the writing bug. And so now I am, I don't have no book deal. There, there, there will be no, there's no Unbound coming from me <laughs> quite yet. But, but Listen, there will be I don't know. Soon. That essay, that essay my, might spark a thing. My, my, mine's going to be called Unleashed. 
Okay. Because oh. <laughs> you have unleashed me onto the world, girl. <laughs> so, and that, and then just building Mama Tanya's Kitchen, which is my food and lifestyle brand that I'm slowly and intentionally building and hoping and praying and wishing and actively working to, to get my own, you know, talk show, lifestyle, food show, where we can look at the intersections of radical black womanism and bougie fancy food <laughs> all right i love it i i think it's coming i i will say the last thing too is i i definitely plan on telling more stories and beyond stories of sexual violence beyond stories of just and you're such a good storyteller I, I just you know you heard toronto mm-hmm. tell stories well thank you she's such a yes. good storyteller <laughs> she is she is i've heard a few i've heard a few <laughs> I yeah. miss my Facebook chronicles, but but yeah, I, that's 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 certainly what's what's next for me if, in in that realm is trying to tell bigger and bolder stories in places where we haven't been able to tell them before. So just you know, well that is amazing, Karana, <laughs> Tanya. Like it was so amazing to have you both on its lit. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Yes, this episode thank was you. definitely extremely lit. <laughs> It was in fuego. It was. I can't believe we fought by Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Maisha. I appreciate y'all always. Um, thank you. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you reading these days? I am reading, you know, some of our listeners will know, and Tarana pointed out that I do most of these interviews with a huge poster behind me, um, <laughs> which is for <laughs> Color Girls, the Broadway poster for, for, for Color Girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Um, I've always felt a special kinship to Enzazaki Shange. I think I was first introduced to her writing when I was like about 14. I was actually performing it. And in high school. So, you know, you can imagine how intense that might have been. I was talking about stuff I don't think I really understood at the time. But, you know, here we are 30 years later. <clears throat> and uh, mm-hmm. this is a piece of work that I come back to again and again. It's a slim but so ridiculously rich volume of poetry and theater and, and just black woman goodness and black girl validation and so yeah it's one of those books that i come back to again and again i I keep it very close to me at all times what are you reading i am reading yellow wife a novel Mm. by sadiqa johnson 
Again, more research for my own novel, but very compelling read. It's a historical novel about a young woman who's born into slavery, who's promised her freedom on her 18th birthday. And, you know, as it turns out in these types of novels, she didn't get it. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) But she learns more about herself and things unfold. Um, But it's a fascinating read. It's quite compelling. And I highly recommend it. All right, then. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep it lit. <laughs>